Welcome to That Game Show, the awkward, inappropriate, random podcast that occasionally talks about games. What's up, everybody? Welcome to That Game Show. I am your host, Chase Bunker. Kyle is off this week, but joining me today, he is a frequent guest on the show. And by frequent, I mean he's been on here twice. He is the CEO of Overcome, and he is the host of the podcast, Visionaries. Check it out, especially if you love good stories over in the esports scene. He is Jacob Wolf. Jacob, welcome back. How you been? I'm good, man. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be back. And uh, yeah, it's been, I think, a year-ish since I was here last. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm glad to have been invited back on, not to uh, been a bad guest. No. Um, to get the re-invite. So uh, thank you for having me. I'm, I'm glad to be here. Yeah, it's been, I think it's, we've had a lot of things happen in our lives, like since you've been on, you were just starting Overcome. Um, and that's been going on for a while. And also one of the bigger things, you got married just recently. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, I got married in New York City uh, a little bit more than a month ago. Um, honestly, wedding was really great. We kept it very small and like very intimate. Um, it was 30, 30, 35 some folks, uh, half from Texas, half from the Northeast of Philadelphia, Washington, D.C., New York and, and Connecticut. Um, and yeah, I mean, it was, it was great. Like New York wedding is kind of a big deal. We always like wanted to get married in New York. I, I wish I could say that, uh, married life felt any different. It doesn't, uh, my wife and I have been together for almost eight years, so it feels more or less the same. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, now we just, you know, have a joint back or joint checking account and rings we wear on our fingers. So I guess that, that's what it is. Yeah, I've kind of felt the same way as well. It's just like, well, we lived together for so long. It was just like, all right, we kind of just have like the title and uh, get better taxes. And that's about it, usually. Um, one thing I love talking about, and I know that some people, if you if you haven't had a wedding yet, you'll feel this coming up. What was the most difficult part of the wedding planning process? I think the, the most difficult part was I, I did it myself probably like stupid for my mental health good for my wallet because wedding planners in new york city are like anywhere from seven to ten grand like they're insanely expensive insanely expensive just for the planner by the way (sighs) um and yeah i mean like it just it's really tough and uh i we had very few hiccups everybody told us to expect hiccups which they were right um, thankfully they were pretty manageable to be honest. And so, uh, yeah, I, I don't, I don't want to do wedding planning again. We are going to have a, like a second wedding. That's a little bit bigger because my wife's family are Mexican and Mexican weddings are always huge. Um, and so that will be like the more traditional classic, uh, Mexican wedding, but I don't know. I, uh, yeah, I'm like pretty, uh, pretty happy that I get a little bit of a break here before I have to start worrying about that. Yeah, I, I, it was a very beautiful wedding. Let me rephrase that. It looked beautiful uh, from pictures. I was not able to make it to the wedding. Um, I think my invite got lost in the mail, which sucks. I would have gone. Uh, I had a speech ready for you. Uh, it would have been heartwarming. Tears, maybe, but that's okay. I, I feel like with weddings, it's always the better rule is have a budget and then just realize you're not going to, you're going to go over immediately. Like, I think we tried $10,000 was our budget. And I think we ended up going over by like 13 or 14. How hard was it to find a suitable venue for you over in New York? Because I know that they've got to be expensive. 
It actually wasn't that expensive. We got really lucky. I was talking to people about this this morning. I think all in all, we spent like 15000 or so, which is very cheap for New York City. I know people mm-hmm. in New York like who have gotten married in the city, and it's like 50, 60, 70 grand. Like, it is quite expensive. It was helpful that like our you know ceremony and reception were intentionally quite quaint and like small and and intimate um but yeah we like ended up uh finding kind of very quickly like what venues we wanted we got married in the brooklyn botanic gardens which is like the historic garden uh, historic garden in brooklyn um a little difficult to deal with on the day of but whatever um and then uh the venue there was like a a venue owner that does specifically owns like a handful of venues in the brooklyn area and um they had one that was a old soap factory and it was half indoor half outdoor and so it was really cool we did like the dancing and stuff on the inside um and then had like drinks and dinner and everything outside and then migrated inside as the night went on it, it was great honestly like it it was uh it was perfect and like the outside portion was super cool um because we had uh we had basically a 360 view of new york like we had manhattan mm-hmm. behind us um and then you could like go on the other side outside of this like terrace and um see queens and brooklyn it was it was really pretty honestly um and the yeah like the venues themselves were only like 3600 bucks total which was uh which was really nice like combined so yeah it was good what was the hiccups? Because you said that you have some hiccups. What was the one that you had to deal with? Or some of them, at least? I had to deal really with two of them. So um, I don't think that I could have predicted that an, that international war protests would have disrupted my wedding day. But they did. Oh, my. Um, hold was, on. Wait, wait, wait. Let's stop there. I'm sorry. What? Yeah. So it was the first Saturday in six weeks that it had not rained in New York City. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was. A, we really got lucky with the day. Um, but this is not too long after, you know, Israel's response to the Hamas attack. And so there were a lot of people, um, organizing both in Manhattan and Brooklyn. Um, the, they were organizing, uh, basically pro-Palestinian protest, um, to support, you know, Palestinian lives and, and, uh, to call for a ceasefire. Um, and the Brooklyn Botanic Gardens was like, is right off the street where that was happening. So we had like a 20 minute delay with our reception because the gate where we were supposed to enter was closed. They opened 20 minutes late. It it was kind of a pain in the butt, but like, yeah, it's fine. And I support people's rights to protest and, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, think every life in this case should matter. But, um, and then the second one was, uh, I had paid a staffing group to set up our reception. And at the beginning of the reception, they at the beginning of the reception they we got there and um they had not really done much of the setup at all and so it was really kind of took it upon myself and my best man and my wife and his girlfriend uh to do that setup thankfully it wasn't too many tables so it wasn't that tough and the caterers were really kind and helped us too um and then uh yeah and then like the end of the night the same staffing group that was hired to tear everything down like clean up and tear everything down so it was clean for the venue um, I got a call from like one of the guys that managed the venue at like 12:47 p.m. And at this point, like I'm, it's my wedding night. I'm like fairly drunk and like don't want to deal with this. Good. I'm like literally laying in my hotel room bed, and uh, dude goes like, "Yeah, nobody's here. Everything's still put up. It doesn't look like anybody's done any teardown." I was pissed, and then because uh, they were paid to be there from midnight to 1 a.m. because we had a 1 a.m. like loadout time basically, um, and. Uh, as he's on the phone with me at 12:47 uh, a.m., 
um he's like oh the guy just showed up and i'm just like like seriously yeah, like almost you know a full hour late basically and like almost get me in trouble with the venue thankfully they were very understanding that's good yeah i think our only hiccups were like you had to deal with protests ours was literally a week before or two weeks before the whole world shut down and so it's like we're all hugging and all that and then all of a sudden we hear oh hey by the way uh so-and-so just came down with COVID. And then this person, I'm like, oh no, did our wedding just become a super spreader event? And the other downside was it was also cold in Orlando. So we had an outside portion that people just couldn't utilize anymore. Yep. I really just wanted slightly heavier than the other, but I mean, we Floridians can't handle the cold. Um, what, this is an important question. What is their happiest day of your life? Was it your wedding day? Or Georgia winning back-to-back national championships? It was my wedding day. Um, definitely very happy that Georgia won back-to-back national championships. I I don't think people quite understand what it means to be a Bulldog fan, to be fair. Uh, because, like... Okay, I, I have a lot of sports like fans or friends who are sports fans who mm-hmm. root for teams that are, like, perpetually very bad. Mm-hmm. Um, or like, like me, the more, the more obnoxious of my friends, the ones that root for teams that are perpetually very good. Like some Pats fans in my mm-hmm. circle of friends, which yeah, it's screw the Pats. Yep. Um, anyway, um, I, uh, Georgia was always like good enough to like make it to the SEC championship almost every year with exception of like when Tennessee and Florida were pretty good. And, but never good enough to get across the line when it mattered most. So like that grew up that being my like thing where, and it's kind of miserable when you're just like, I don't want to say middle of the pack. They were always like a top 10, top 15, top 20 team, but like, yeah, good enough to get somewhere, but not all the way. And so it was a big deal when they were able to do it, not just once, but twice. So I was hoping they would do it a third time, but it, you know, it happens. Yeah. My wife hates this joke. I always say that the happiest day of my life was my wedding. And then a month later, Tom Brady joined my football team. And then suddenly life was worth living. Oh, <laughs> I could see her being angry with that. She, 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 slightly, just, just a little bit. I mean, when you're a Buccaneers fan like me, again, like I'm in the category of bad football teams. I needed, I needed a win and I got a win and it was Tom Brady. And I enjoyed the hell out of those two years. Um, you're, I, I don't get to talk sports often with a lot of my video game uh, people on these shows, so I'm going to explore all that while I can before we get into the journalism. By the way, uh, make sure you check out Overcome. A lot of great stories, a lot of great reporting with the Jacob Wolf Report as well. Uh, Visionaries, the podcast. Find that wherever you get your podcasts. The college football playoff. Do you think FSU should have got in? No, uh, that's very controversial. I'm aware that I'm on a Floridian hosted podcast. Um, mm-hmm. I, I don't, and and I'm not sure I even do if the Jordan if Jordan Travis is like healthy either. Um, Ooh, that's a take. That, that is a take. Uh, I I don't know. Like other than like I okay. So I I've watched a lot of football this season, mm-hmm. uh, NFL and, and college. Mm-hmm. And I think that the 
Florida State's strength of schedule is atrocious. Like the hardest teams on that schedule are Louisville, uh, Louisville, LSU, and Florida. Nothing to really write home about. I think like easy with the Florida look, with the really good there. Uh, yeah, you you can you can uh, okay, good enough. Um, but like all the ACC teams are pretty awful, um, and they didn't have any good competition. And when they played certain bad teams like Boston College, they played them way too close, way mm-hmm. too close. Like that went to overtime. It should not have gone to overtime. Um, I think that. Uh, like Jared Verse is incredibly talented. I hope he falls far enough in the draft that the Falcons can pick him up as a Falcons fan. No, because I think like we we need a we need an edge rusher, and he's in my opinion probably the most like talented edge rusher in this this class in a class that has a few of them that are very good. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I like not I I I know a lot of people say like cupcake schedule, etc. Florida State kind of had a cupcake schedule, to be honest. And I, here's what I'll say. I I think the the college football playoff committee has shown repeatedly uh, to have a very strong SEC bias. Um, the Alabama thing was not surprising. In fact, my best man is a Florida State fan, and um, I was messaging in another group, literally the day, two days, and the day before, because I kept like making fun of FSU. And he was like, I hope I hope the dogs lose or whatever. And I'm just like, you don't want that to happen because if they do, like Alabama is going to leapfrog you. Like that will literally be the number like that will be the best win of the college football season if Alabama beats Georgia, which they did. Um, and so yeah, I mean, like I told him, I was like, you, the best outcome for you is everything stays the same. Like George, you know, Georgia beats Alabama, Michigan beats Iowa, Washington beats Oregon. FSU beats uh, Louisville, and then yeah, and then uh, Texas beats Texas beats Oklahoma State, but it shouldn't matter. Um, I do also say I watched the entire ACC championship, and it was actually painful to watch it because it just it was a terrible game. Oh like, yeah, I very... will. I the last two games were they were really tough to watch. Uh, my brother in law is a big FSU fan, and so I watched it with him, and just like. This is really rough. Like, here's my thing. Like, they probably would get blown out against uh, Michigan. But my whole thing is, I'm a, a, I'm a UCF fan. I'm a Boise State fan. And when UCF went undefeated, all I kept hearing is, play tougher competition, win all your games, and that's all you need to worry about, and get into a Power 5 school. And it just it sucks seeing that happen to FSU. Mind you, also, a lot of FSU fans were chirpy during that time. So I think now that they kind of like, you know, I think they're kind of like going back over to the, hey, maybe F- uh, UCF had a point. But it's also just the fact that like, I've never seen a team win a conference championship and then move down in the rankings. I think that yeah. was the thing that was just kind of surprising to me. Now on to the gaming portion, which is what everybody came here for. I think we got all of our sports takes out of the way for right now. Uh, you've just, uh, last time we talked, you were starting up Overcome. You've now been going at it for a while. Like, what has been, like, your feeling just being at this, like, one, being the CEO of a company for uh, over a year and a half right now, and also, like, what's, how is like, your life kind of changed in that way? Uh, entrepreneurship's hard. 
Um, I've been pretty public about this week about like how we've kind of had like, uh, you know, a number of investment conversations over the past two years, just like continually kind of, you know, uh, slap you in the face and like, it's, it's a difficult environment to be in. Um, I think that when I was at ESPN, uh, in particular, um, I had a lot of skills that I had like self-taught as a teenager, et cetera, that like I would be very i would get in trouble for using them uh whether it be like graphic design or show production or whatever i was very frequently told what my role was and what my role wasn't and i don't respond particularly well to that i'm an ambitious person and i think that's why i like the startup life because i can do a little bit of everything and i like doing a little bit of everything i think i've learned about a lot about myself that i work best with and we have some of these people inside the company now I work best with people that are very hard on me about like getting certain things done because I am very ADHD and I can sometimes like get distracted and want to go do something else. Like, you know, not unmotivated, but actually just like get distracted wanting to go do something completely random that is not the immediate priority. Um, so I've learned that about myself, but I've really been able to the past like three years uh, really enhance a lot of these, um, a lot of these skills and learn a lot of things about myself. I didn't know. Um, we had a, uh, meeting two weeks ago, two and a half weeks ago, um, with the company that we work with, uh, that we're a client of theirs. And I was like telling them, we had this meeting, they requested feedback, um, for us to meet with them about like what we did and did not like about their platform. And, um, I talked a lot with them about it. And honestly, like, I've discovered this real role, I think, for like product of, of like real love for the role of like product development that I don't think I knew I had. Right. Like I, I um, really passionate about particularly creator tools and how to best help creators as someone who is a creator themselves. Right. Like, but also as someone who, you know, I consume a ton of media across like all facets, not just video games, but sports and politics and, and news and tech. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think I have a pretty good grasp on like what the hell is going on out there. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I, I've really kind of fallen in love with like the product dev side of things. And I, I didn't think I would, honestly. Um, I still think the most exciting thing I, I do, uh, just generally is, is reporting news, like and producing television film and like telling stories that every time there's like an adrenaline rush that comes with it and like a dopamine high when you're successful with it and something comes out and it publishes, it feels really good as the recognition pours in. Um, but yeah, I like, I don't know. I, uh, I, I've learned a lot about myself to answer your question. I think being, being a founder, being a CEO, uh, responsible for other people, having to do, wear so many different other hats. I've learned a lot of things about myself that I don't think I thought about previously. Are you like me sometimes? Cause like there's times where I have to like work on an interview or obviously like record a podcast where do you deal with like a little bit of like an imposter syndrome in a way where you're just like, I think I, I know I dealt with this a lot when I started becoming a reporter and then also going into news where I'm just like, I may have oversold myself here. Like, do you deal with like any imposter syndrome at all? All the time. Um, Particularly to, I, I mean, I think every founder does, uh, but I think particularly in my case, you know, like I was the youngest talent hire ever at ESPN. Like I got that job when I was 18. I started it right after my 19th birthday. And I was told a lot while I was there that I was not 
like ready for this, you know, this writer or that writer had waited till they were this age or this far in their career to write this kind of story or get this kind of assignment. Um, but then simultaneously being told like internally and externally, internally, like, uh, you know, everyone that's here is the best at what they do and that's why they're here. Um, like, and then also externally, like being kind of universally recognized as like the best reporter in esports, and um, so it oscillates almost every day uh, to some degree. Like, um, it oscillates between me uh, feeling really, really confident in myself and my ability and and what I can do. I have a story coming out tomorrow. We're recording this on a Wednesday, so on Thursday. Um, I have a story coming out tomorrow that is something that, like, literally no one else, I think, covering the gaming space would have been able to get the amount of information and the access that I have. And that is a testament, not to me kissing people's ass, because I don't, nope. um, not, not to, like, me doing any favors or anything for anyone to get access, because there are people that do that and have less access than I do. Um, it is simply for the fact that I have spent my career trying to build it on respect uh, with other people, and you don't have to like me. You just have to respect me. That's all All I ask, like, if you're someone I cover, because um, I, I try to respect them. Um, and, yeah, like, I uh, – and so I oscillate from that, like, high confidence that I can do so many different things that other people can't um, to, like, very low lows of, like – Oh well, you know, I'm I'm 26. Like I should, you know, like I'm I'm 26. What do I know? Like I can't I can't do this. Like even even with like certain stories, like writing them, like I get really in my head sometimes of like, oh, I can't write like that. And it's like I can. I literally have done it before. Um, but you know, it's like you know, angel on one shoulder, devil on the other, and like it's just can be really frustrating um because it's a hard balance and and i just have to uh entrepreneurship takes a, a very large amount of confidence to be able to do this because you do have to believe in yourself and honestly the more and more people i've talked to that are like super successful like have done their own thing and sold it etc everybody's making it up as they go along like it, it, there's a difference between being ignorant or like lacking a certain amount of competence and being willing to learn versus being like a fraud and just like straight up lying about what you know. Um, I don't like the fake it till you make it. I do like the sort of like open-minded learn dot, you know, throw yourself into it and try to figure it out portion of things. Um, so yeah, I, I, from a mental health perspective, I like very much oscillate between like very, very confident to, to imposter syndrome, honestly. And it's, it can be tough to deal with, honestly. I feel like with what we do and it in terms of like being a presenter, being a broadcaster, you have to kind of have like this sense of feigned confidence where you have to pretty much say like, I'm the effing best at this job. And then it's like, the thing is like, I'll have like newscasts where I would just like literally throw my chair and be like, that's why you effing fire, uh, hire me. That's completely different. Um, that's why you hire me. That's why I'm the best at this. And then like, you'll just have like another newscast. that will just be like, wow, why am I employed? Where it's like, I'm just slurring everything. I'm speeding through everything. I don't know what I'm reading. And it's, it's this weird, like spectrum of confidence of like, 
Your high is really high, but that low can just hit you in an instant. Yeah, I'm blessed by the fact that I don't have to produce... I'm still producing a lot of content. We're doing like a content blitz right now. Yes. But I can be more selective about what I want to do. Uh, I have a lot more destiny and control over what I want to do. And if something doesn't feel right, I'm just not going to do it. Like if I like start writing something and I'm like, what actually is my take here? Right. Like, and like that used to be like hours of conversation with editors. Now it's really just me like kind of getting in my own head. If I don't feel good about it, then I just don't do it. Um, the, on the like, uh yeah on the fame confidence side i totally agree um i'm working on this like big story for the end of next week that is this like years-long investigation and in, involving uh some of the biggest influencers on twitch and youtube and um i've decided the past couple of days thinking about it that i'm gonna do in addition to the written piece i'm gonna do a video essay format um that similar to what you see from big youtubers like ludwig and moist critical and others mm-hmm. um it's gonna be me talking to this camera um or the camera on the shelf behind me um and it will be me sort of breaking down like you know what it is uh, what happened and everything um because one i think like if a lot of people that are on youtube will be interested in that and we can obviously use that type of content for short form video as well you, you youtube shorts tiktok etc um so yeah, I like I've never done that before, and uh, I'd be lying if I didn't say like I'm a little nervous about doing it. But at the same time, I have written a ton of scripts. I have all of the information because as a reporter, like I've done my job, and I have everything I need. Um, and so yeah, like what is there to worry about, right? Like somebody makes a stupid comment about like my delivery or like appearance or something like the whatever, man, like the reporting kind of speaks for itself. And this, it's a, it's a big story. I put a lot of time into it. I know the story is a good story and it's interesting, um, but trying new things and like, yeah, not really trying not to worry about it too much, which is easier said than done, but important. You said earlier that you were going on a content blitz. You just announced that on uh I almost said Twitter out of habit. You know what? Bleep it. I'm going to say Twitter anyway. Um, I think that's the only time when dead naming is okay. Um, So you post on Twitter. You're going through what is like a two month, I believe, like content blitz. Two weeks. Two weeks. Two weeks. weeks. Okay. That's a little bit better because like two months, like, man, he's just going hard in the pain at this point. Yeah. What was the decision behind this? And like, what, what's the result that you're kind of looking for here? Uh, so we, like I said earlier, we've, uh, spent the past two years trying to fundraise for this thing, um, to basically build a a brand that is home to, uh, six or seven journalists and creators across nerd culture, gaming and the creator economy. And, um, I, uh, it, it has been really tough. Um, we've had deals where, we have spent like five months talking to a, like a big media company about like them investing in the company. We, us like having a service agreement with them where we like produce certain stuff for them, which that's good. That's revenue. Mm-hmm. Me working for, for them and publishing some of my work in their publications, et cetera. Um, I had one of those conversations that lasted five months last year and then like got all the way to the person that needed to like sign to get it done basically. And, they were awful to deal with, like basically kicked in the teeth, showed up late to a meeting, were super rude and like 
blew up the deal that all their underlings had been trying to put together with me. And like, that sucks. Um, it's a really terrible fundraising environment. Uh, by far the worst, like since 2008. Um, and maybe in some ways even worse, because at least in 2008, like people knew what the, the bottom was, right? Like it was so apparent the economy is crashing. Things are yeah. terrible right now. Everybody kind of feels like there's a bottom, but they don't, you can't see it. Right. Like, and, and so that's, you're kind of speculating how bad is the economy actually going to be may not be bad at all, but like, we don't know. There's just like not enough data and information. And I think like, that's the hard part. Also like bonds are really uh, higher interest rate bonds are like very advantageous to have right now. So you like, you know, especially the types of people that invest in media very traditionally, which tends to be like left leaning on the political spectrum, pro-democracy type folks, you know, they sure they probably do some venture capital investing like they, you know, have a they're a limited partner in some firms or something like that. But more often than not, those people like to try to invest out of their own family office, et cetera. And they're going to make more money nine times out of 10, maybe even more than that, like nine point nine times out of 10 by putting money into a eight to 10 year, you know, 20 year bond that has high interest. And it's just going to continue to either pay a dividend or. Uh, continue to increase in value. And at the end of it, they're going to get a huge lump sum of money. In most cases, that's a better outcome than, you know, 9.9 out of 10 of their venture investments because they're going to fail, right? The majority are going to fail and you hope that you have one of them that goes really, really well. Um, so that's the macroeconomic macro issue. The micro issue is gaming uh, specifically um, and in a much smaller scale, gaming media, Um this happens in every industry, but I have noticed it particularly in three over the past decade. Uh, gaming and esports kind of being number one, uh, cryptocurrency being number two, and now AI is the, more, the most recent one. You know, a ton of like trend-based investing, people investing in what other people are investing in and what they think is smart. But in all three cases, I think you see, you're seeing a lot of investment into uh, that makes no sense. Like, you know, like gullible investors investing in these companies that like are using these like crazy data metrics that anybody like me or you could probably like take a look at and be like, that's silly. That just doesn't like, you know, match the profile of the, the audience that they're going after, or, like the end consumer or user. Um, and in gaming and esports and in crypto, that is both blown up in their face. And so and then in gaming media specifically, there's been a couple of different ventures that were very publicly fall like very publicly fell apart uh fell apart uh vin being one of them is a yeah. you know um 38 million dollars like basically pissed through in 18 <sighs> months like i didn't realize it was it, that much yeah it we i mean transparently we will we would spend less in like three years than vin would spend in three months uh, given the burn rate that they were at they were burning like more than a million a month at one point like absolutely ridiculous what were they burning it on uh, it was a mix of like, so when they first started, they acquired a studio, they acquired a studio from ESL in LA and took it over and built it in to be like comparable to a sports center studio. Just like this, like very high tech LED wall, et cetera. Those things are expensive, right? Like, and the rent for that place is also very expensive um, that they took over for ESL. And then at one point, pre-pandemic, they were building a studio. They had a lease and were building a studio in the World Trade Center in New York, um, which uh, I it it blows my mind. They made me a job offer at one point, and I it was one of my biggest job offers at the time. 
uh, when I was trying to pick what I wanted to do post ESPN. And I said, no, cause I could sense the financial instability. I like, was it a lot of money? Yes. Uh, but I probably would have also been laid off like six to eight months later. Yeah. So why would I do that to myself? Right. How much were they going to um, offer you? Uh, I was offered, oh, I didn't sign an NDA for this. I don't mind saying I was offered a, uh, $200,000 in cash, uh, <sighs> and fit a, a year, uh, I think equity was somewhere between in value 25,000 to 50,000, which it was worth nothing in the end. So whatever. Um, and then the, there was some other like bonus compensation I'm forgetting, but like, yeah, it was, it was like my second highest offer, I think. Um, wow. and, and I took less, uh, than both of those to go back to dot esports. Um, because I believed in dots vision. I like Kevin Morris a lot, mm -hmm. um, et cetera. I took less than that offer um because it wasn't about the money for me it was like about the vision and what i was going go to go do i'm young i have plenty of time to make money yeah um, and i could go make a lot of money doing stuff not journalism if i wanted to um but i don't want to uh, back to your other point mm -hmm. um so you know we we're in a position right now where like got a month to figure this out basically it's either like it can be a mix of things but it is like we're trying to drive more subscribers to our patreon um so we can increase revenue and demonstrate like one pay people's bills uh two um also demonstrate like demand basically and uh demand for what we are doing and and what we want to do um at a very small level for us but at a you know obviously with more investment being able to hire other people that have a bigger profile than i do and um being able to go out there and and recruit um and then also, you know, basically like kind of getting the word out to like brands and sponsors um, as well for potentially sponsoring our content because our content does really well for itself. Yeah, um, that's not that's not the problem. The problem is uh, the problem is just like there's a mix of like macroeconomic factors. I I have been and can be uh, very upset that I candidly like uh, feel like I've not gotten an opportunity um but when so many other people aforementioned people like vin and g4 and others got a bunch of opportunity and used it very stupidly and i could have told you it was stupid the minute that i heard about the business plans mm -hmm. um and because i think if i would have started trying to do what i started trying to do this year build like a you know athletic type website for these types of interest if i would have started trying to do that three or four years earlier and would have like left ESPN to do it, et cetera. I could have raised a ton of money. Like the, the economy was better. The sentiment around gaming and esports was way better. Mm -hmm. But I also think back then, like I would have failed because I would have also made those stupid decisions. And like, I wasn't as educated about all the audience and like how their consumer habits and, and about like just running a business, et cetera, as I am now. Um, and so it's tough because like what would i rather have right uh if i have to talk to people in the future about this which i will i'm sure would i rather have a situation where like it was hard and i had to figure out a way to like pull up my my bootstraps and make it work or would i rather have a situation where i was an utter and abysmal failure uh in with a ton of venture money and I'm inclined to think that I would rather uh, have the pull up by the bootstraps and figure it out and make it work. Um, 
so that's what we're trying to do. And we're trying to basically demonstrate, you know, I've had to split my time between content and fundraising and biz ops uh, the past two years. And we've basically said, screw it, throw it out the window. I'm still like getting inbound calls, et cetera, from other people trying to help on the investment side of things. But ultimately, like, it's good. I hope there's a solution here. I don't know if there is or not. Um, but I am hopeful that like, you know, uh, by demonstrating to the community that we have uh, demonstrating to the community that we have a lot of interest in something like this, that in uh, demonstrating to others that will help, you know, and, and by demonstrating that we can still create really, really valuable content, like the piece I'm publishing in the morning, mm -hmm. like I said, no one else has that access in this entire industry. No one in gaming has that level of access yeah. uh, or knowledge, like people in other parts of media don't have the knowledge to do the piece. And so. Yeah, because you've had all yeah. the experience, you've had the years of journalism, you've had the years of reputation. And so, like, that's why, it, like, you're not tooting your own horn when you say, like, you're, like, the best reporter out there in gaming. It's like, you're, I, you are, like, especially with all the access that you've gained over the years, especially over in Riot, you've got it, um, especially with some of the pro uh, the shows that you've put out, like, Visionaries is incredible, uh, I love some of the stories. That's the thing I feel like gaming doesn't do often is they don't tell the stories very well. And I think like that was always been my issues with like Overwatch League, Call of Duty League kind of does it a little bit better, but like there's no personality really. Like we don't, and I don't know if it's just because like the subjects are socially awkward at times, but there's a lot of great stories that aren't being fully tapped. And you're able to access that on Visionaries. Find that wherever you get your podcasts. Um, like, I think one of the best ones was when you had uh, Albin Deslate. I, I keep botching his name. I'm a G2 fan as well. That's the worst part. Um, you had him on. And I've been wanting to get somebody on for a while. Um, I just get ghosted every time. And because I don't have the access. It, where you have a very prominent a prominent figure leave and now you're just like all right what do we go from here essentially and so you yeah. cover that you cover and we'll talk about that in just a little bit but like you you put out the high quality content that is needed that we hoped that g4 would have had that we hoped ven would have but instead it's like we like the idea of it but we just don't know how to execute it apparently because um there's just too many executives. There's too many people just like, hey, here's millions of dollars. It's like people who win the lottery. They eventually like they go bankrupt. I forget the stat. Like, I think you know what I'm talking about. Like, there's a large amount of people who win the lottery that just end up going bankrupt because yeah. they've never had the money and they just throw Somebody it everywhere. Yeah. I I think, you know, the the people that have tried gaming media in the past. There's a lot to unpack based off what you just said, but I think like, so the, there's kind of different buckets, right? So I, I think most people in gaming media, and I, I'm painting a broad stroke here, from journalist to YouTuber um, to whatever else kind of in the media sphere, but like from, from real hired working at a publication journalist to even like independent YouTuber, uh, even the most successful ones, all kind of start from the same place, which is being a fan of video games. Yes. Uh, and that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. We we have seen what it can be like when you get coverage from outsiders who like are condescending and just you know disdainful towards people that like video games. It it's really annoying. Um and I'm glad that everybody starts from a place of passion. 
I think there's a lot of different, if you think about it as a tree and like all the various different paths, you know, how it branches off, et cetera. Um, I think that there's a couple of things here to break down what you said. I think part one, um, fear, uh, either, either internalized fear for like getting in your own head or legitimate actual fear. Um, I think internalized fear, uh, being meaning that a lot of these reporters worry that if they ask a certain question a certain way, or if they cover a certain thing negatively, or if they have if they have a take they like and they publish it and it's like an unpopular take, that they are, uh, they're immediately uh, going to lose their access. They're gonna like lose the community, etc. They don't want to be controversial, um, or legitimate fear. Uh, the amount of negative run-ins I've had with PR people at game studios is like, you can count on probably four or five hands at this point. And like over the, the base, most basic of stuff that like other journalists, I think would like kind of roll their eyes at, I, you know, I'll never forget. There was a, a big game title release. It was a sequel, big game title release. I was covering a couple of years ago. And, um, on the PS5 and the previous one was uh, on the PS4. Uh, the first one was on the PS4. And I like had a dev in an interview. Him and I were like, had seemingly had good rapport. Um, he had like read up on me before the call. And so like, it was all going smooth. Not really a controversial interview. And I'm asking questions, having not covered the first game <laughs> about the first game and like how, the second developing for the second game was different because of how big of a technological leap the PS4 to the PS5 is, right? Like mm -hmm. it's just a big difference and how that impacts dev. And I got off the phone and the thought it went fine. He, he was good. I don't think he personally had a problem. And the PR person for the company that he worked for called me and uh basically said why are you asking questions about the old game the story is not about the old game and i was just like well because i didn't cover the old game and i need context to provide my readers where i can contrast the old game to the new game right it just is basic sense not controversial very basic mm -hmm. and and i said that to them i was like look i'm just like trying to get better context for my readers to like understand these differences um and uh this person, this PR person was like, well, I'm going to call your editor. And she did. She called my editor and complained about that. Literally me asking questions, like just good hearted, not me poking, prodding, not me asking anything like for them to reveal any crazy inside secrets. It was literally a basic game dev conversation, super basic. And like me, when she said, I'm going to call my editor, I know how to politely say Fuck you and hang up the phone without saying those exact words. Mm -hmm. I've done this for a long time. I like, I understand how to deal with this. Uh, she called my editor. My editor was just like, I don't know why she's being like this. It's fine. Like do what you got to do. If we lose the access, we'll deal with it later. But like you're doing your damn job, right? Like yeah. my editor didn't even get it. Um, and so it's just really stupid. Um, and that's like kind of that like legitimate fear because of, you know, legitimate fear. Um, and so I like, uh, that's kind of point one there is why you don't see a lot of uh, diversity in gaming media. Part two also though, is the fact that like, I think and I've been thinking about this a lot. I have had the opportunity to go to beta test Google Bard, the AI mm -hmm. uh, search software um, that is 
going to be publicly available, I think, in the next year. Um, I don't know that for sure, but that's my guess because uh, it's pretty damn close to being good. And most of games journalism, I've done like market data research on this. Most of games journalism, uh, all the big sites, IGN, Dotty Sports, Dixerto, like, you know, kind of all the who's who of the people that cover the space. Uh, most of them, their traffic is 65 plus percent. And I've seen ones all the way up to 90 uh, derived from Google News and Google search. And recently I tweeted about this today. Recently, it uh, you are not able to. There is literally nothing. It doesn't matter what you add to your sitemap. It doesn't matter if you you know add to no scroll to your robots text or whatever for the developers that know what that means. It doesn't matter what you do um, to even be indexed in Google News or Google Search when Google Bard rolls out and has generative search. You uh, you have to allow for it to scrape your content, and so you have a ton of journalists. And I'm like, I've had some of my former colleagues at Dot and some other people I've talked to like tell me that I'm like scaring them, but I'm like, I'm really just trying to help them and prep them to be like, you need to figure out what the f you're doing because your job may not exist in literally a year. Yeah. Um, because, you know, they're spending a lot of time writing the articles that pay the, currently pays the bills, which is like, how do you beat the, the Rancor in Jedi Fallen Order or whatever? Just like very basic question answer SEO stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, they click into Dottie Sports or Dixerto or, you know, any yeah. of these websites and, and get the answer. Google is about to scrape that and serve it to, to the audience without any attribution links. Like, you're I've literally used the beta service that does this. It doesn't provide attribution at all. And if it does, it'll provide attribution by name, but not by link. And so, like, it's going to kill so much of the internet. Like, the SEO-driven internet's It's terrible. Um, and so, like, to me, you have to be personality-driven. You have to have insights, either as a reporter or as a commentator or an analyst in the space. You have to have something unique about you so people care about you, something that a computer and AI cannot replicate. Um, cause it can, re it can replicate all that stuff. And because it's like, you know, 15, 20 sites publishing the exact same thing, paraphrased and written different ways, mm -hmm. it's, it just knows how to paraphrase you. And it's not, you can't sue it for copyright. Cause like it's scraping your work, but like, you're probably also using somebody else's work. And like, also it's technically like, it gets into this weird, like IP law thing where it's like, technically it's the game that has the property. It's just like. It's really stupid, and I don't think there's going to be protections around AI scraping anytime soon of any meaningful note, but I do think it's going to take away a lot of jobs, and it and it mm -hmm. really, really concerns me. And so I think, yeah, I'm on a tangent here, but I really think it's important, really think it's important for young journalists and for creators to do something that makes you you. And that, in my case, that is kind of two things. One, I call the balls and strikes all the time. Like, I will always say what I think and yep. think what I say. I'm honest and direct and yep. I'm just me. Mm -hmm. Um and then too, I'm I'm a good reporter. Like I just damn good. Tomorrow and next week we'll highlight this. But like again, I have access nobody else does. I mm -hmm. built these relationships. I have information that trust me, the people that I'm reporting on don't want it to be public. Um but I'm good at doing it. And uh that you know, I, I said that I may have to leave game journalism in that statement because of kind of where we're at, like even if I do have to full time, I'm sure I'll stay around in some part time capacity. But like, 
I want people to understand if they listen to this pod and they're not familiar with me and they go and read what's pinned on my Twitter right now. Uh, I, I could leave games journalism today, go all out and go apply for a bunch of jobs in marketing and media and like product dev at much bigger companies, some startups, some not, um, and get paid currently. Cause I'm not paying myself like kind of market rate, like four or five X what I currently make and probably two to three X what I made at ESPN. I oh, could wow. go live very comfortably if I wanted to. But I don't want to because naively, stupidly, whatever, I feel a pull that like this, this industry needs me. And that sounds super egotistical, but like I really, this industry is responsible for my career and it makes me happy. And I'm really driven about like bringing accountability to people in the industry, et cetera, Uh, be it gaming, be it nerd culture, be it the creator space. I think kind of they're all pop culture in one way or another. I'm really passionate about that. Uh, And so I want to stick around. I don't want to have to leave. I thought you were going to say you do this because you're a glutton for pain, hence why you're a Falcons fan. Uh, that's fair. Uh, but no, I mean, I, I just, I want to, I want to stick around. Um, yeah. I don't want to have to walk away uh, and I'm hoping not to, um, yeah. but it's, it is hard right now. Uh, do you look honest. at, speaking of journalism, do you ever look at some of the outlets and what they post and you just go, what the bleep are you doing? Like, why? Kotaku, why are you doing this? Or GameStop, uh, GameSpot, why are you doing this? I know that you had a little bit of like that one rant against uh, Jake Lucky and Hunter, which, by the way, scorched my eyebrows. My gosh, that was hot and spicy. But like, is do you ever look at like some outlets? You're just like, come on now. I look at influencers that way more than I look at outlets nowadays. Uh, outlets, I kind of know the answer. They have to. Right. Like it, it either it's a mandate or like they need the traffic or, you know, like, yeah, like it's it's hard out here being a, an outlet and, and gaming and distinguishing yourself, honestly, unless again, reporter. Right. Unless you have something that's so unique. Um, so sometimes. But I'm, I tend to be I, I think if you would ask me that question two or three years ago, yes, I would have been a lot more critical. I'm a lot more empathetic to people now. Generally, um, I, I wish everybody was more empathetic, like truly like I've. Uh, you know, there is a pretty big figure in the esports community that, like, when I was at Dot, was making comments about two of our staff who were contract with us and then had a con- another separate work contract with teams. And they were basically saying, like, oh, you know, they shouldn't be able to do both. And I was, and I like, went to this person and I was like, look, like, ethically, I don't disagree with you. They are not they're not in channels where we're talking about anything regarding the, you know, the contract employer that they have at their other job at the team or whatever. People have to pay their bills. And like it's it's been hard out here in gaming and esports media for a while. Like those people didn't have those jobs because, you know, they they I'm sure they wanted them, but like at the same time, they they had to have them. They have to pay their bills. Um, and I wish people would lead a little bit more with empathy just generally. Um, on the influencer side of things, especially the ones that don't need uh, to do the pot story. Yes. Uh, well, you know, especially like when someone has success and doesn't need to do th- do some of those things. I, I agree. Um, it's, a, it's a slight tangent, but I like, you know, I said I'm doing a video essay for next week, but like, mm-hmm. 
you know, the video essayists are kind of becoming in a way like the journalist of YouTube in many ways. Um, and I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I don't want to gatekeep this profession. It does worry me a little bit. Uh, because again, a lot of these folks aren't doing this out of malice. They're just naive, naive. Like they just yeah. don't know. Um, but like, you know, they're accusing people of fraud and stuff. And it's just like, ooh, ooh, like, did you have somebody like a lawyer or an editor, like give that a look or like somebody that has extensive experience in doing this. And it's like, are you talking uh, about a certain uh popular youtube with charity yeah or are you just I talking mean, about in I, general yes that comes to mind but i i am talking about in general um but i mean i'm not defending the completionists and i and i'm frankly i'm quite upset i i don't know the xg4 crew uh all that well other than novelty mm -hmm. but the people that did publicly just defend him i'm super upset with him because like he uh, he's not even defended himself past. The no, he hasn't. And it's it's. I mean, it's stunning. The silence is deafening. Uh, it, it it's borderline Streisand effect. Well, I've also yeah. Maybe for the listeners, we should explain this a little bit. But the yeah. big YouTuber, the completionist, uh, his family has had a foundation for almost twenty years now um, to benefit folks uh, with or to benefit dementia research. Mm -hmm. um, his mom uh, passed from dementia uh, when oh, a while, a long time ago. Yeah. And they set up this private foundation. Um, and uh, turns out that public, like, you know, charity records are public um, 990s. You, anybody can pull them if you have the EIN. Mm -hmm. uh, Carl Jost and Mutar, uh, Ordinary Gamers, found uh, in their public records filing that they've had the, they've had this money and it has sat dormant and not been dispersed for at least 10 years. Um, and so there's like 650 grand just like sitting in an account. Hopefully, hopefully, knock hopefully. on wood, we don't actually know. Hopefully sitting in a bank account somewhere, like not being tampered with or not being embezzled. We don't know. And that's the problem. And I think if it was, you know, Gerard, the completionist went on the record with those guys. I, I, if it's in an account, it is not very hard to say that where it's like it's either in a, in a checking account or an escrow or somewhere. And just like it's not hard to just publish a record that goes like, here's the money. Like, we're sorry. We should have dispersed it sooner. And but yeah, there's come there's been more info that's come out that like some of the like public numbers around fundraising for them. And the uh, his dad also runs a company that does like a charity event that goes to the same foundation Right, once race goes to the same foundation, and like the public numbers don't match the private numbers, which that's also we're getting to this territory of like why is there discrepancy here? Again, it it's been like two and a half weeks. I'm shocked, uh, honestly. I, I know it's a weird tangent, but I'm I'm very very surprised, and I'm very disappointed by the amount of especially the XG four people who like blanket defended him. Um, well, I think because... we do that with friends, though. Like, I feel like it's one of those where like if. If you have a friend that you don't think is going to happen, I I I don't want to like you know besmirch them or anything and just say hey you're like want to what you're doing, but it's also like at the same time like if something were to come out to about you, I'd just like based on like our communications, I'd be like yeah, it doesn't technically sound like him. Now, granted, my my social media presence, like I don't tweet a lot about things, like so I feel like with them being figures, they have to go out and defend their friend because with the way twitter is hey 
you're a part of this group. Why aren't you saying this? Like you, you have to put out a press release about everything. Maybe I'm a bad friend, but I would, I would go to my friend first and like dig into it and like, see if it's founded or not. That's reasonable, do, by the way. Doing that. like, that's not you being a bad friend. That's you also being reasonable as well. Yeah, like, and, and people have done that to me. Like, I've been caught up in shit. Not, not anything like that. Not yeah. like fraud or anything. But I've been caught up in some, and some, and I've had close friends like come and check me before they say anything. And it, I'm glad they did. Like, I, it, I'd rather have friends, friends who like really care. If somebody is confident enough to check, check. If a friend is confident enough to check you on your, then like, that's a good friend. Uh, yeah, that means that that they like genuinely very care, genuinely care about you. Uh, unfortunately, I do think most people though the expectation is you just defend them no matter what, and like it's a hard thing. I, I've seen this a lot in you know uh, the like some of the sexual abuse stuff that's happened in the past two and a half three years in gaming. That's come well happened in the past, but came out in the past two and a half three years. Yeah. Um, there's a mix of like the really malicious type folks that like just try to uh, smear and drag the victims through the mud, which that's terrible. Mm -hmm. um, but I also know like a handful of people who have really tried to be positive parts of rehabilitating the, the offenders in this case. And like, I don't, sexual abuse is awful, but all yes. that to say, I, and I think that if you are a public figure and you take advantage of someone like that, you should never be a public figure again. Mm -hmm. But I don't think you should die tomorrow and like not have another chance to be a better person in life. Mm -hmm. Not as a public figure, go work a normal job. Don't, you know, don't do anything in public eye. Don't do anything in media. Um, but, and I respect the fact that there are people that care about just human life like that. Right. Like it's, and check them on their and be like, why the f did you do this? Go get help, go get therapy, like all the different things, like work through this. Um, and yeah, but like back to what I said earlier, like, people should have more empathy and people should like be more balanced and fair and just have respect for human life. Like it, it's not that hard to me, but it's very hard for people on the internet, apparently. Oh, it is. And look, uh I've, I've exposed a lot of the people that I'm talking about and I still <laughs> feel that way of like, I don't think they should die for what they did. Like I think they should, yeah, they should have a chance at life, but they mm -hmm. also need to atone and like apologize and look in the mirror and be like, why did I do that? What, yeah. What, I also yeah, feel like, like we yeah. also miss out on like, we, we have, we forgot about forgiveness. And I feel like that's now I'm not saying like for, you know, for certain things. Yeah. You don't forgive, but like, I feel like for certain, like, like certain elements that we just need to kind of get over things that happened 10 years ago to an extent to, to an extent. Um, yeah, I, I don't think it's so much forgetting as it is, uh, or sorry, it's, it, it is a little bit of forgiveness, but I, again, like if you abuse your power as a public figure, in my opinion, you should lose it. You should never have it again. Yes. Like, you've demonstrated that somewhere mentally in your brain chemistry, you don't understand how this works. Mm -hmm. Um, it's hard as someone who is a public figure, mm -hmm. hard, uh, to, cause it presents another level of anxiety, uh, being even a micro influencer, et cetera, it presents another level of anxiety that like most people probably cannot deal with i personally have like had to lean on a lot of other people in my network to figure this out um and i'm still not perfect uh but yeah to me like yeah to me i think like people should be given an opportunity to to be re rehabilitated i also don't believe in cancellation that's a whole nother thing but like, yeah. i don't think people can actually be canceled that's stupid um because there are plenty of people that have done awful heinous shit, 
and like are able to continue doing whatever they want to do yeah those are the people i respect the least if you cannot admit that you're you did something wrong and like you are at fault then yeah you you deserve no sympathy and no empathy at all like you got to be able to admit your mistakes and and try to make them better oh yeah uh, I want to talk about Visionaries because it's a show I've been hyping up. Uh, it's a great podcast. You tell a lot of great stories. Again, the G2 one with the new CEO, I thought was great. I loved the Avali one um, just because, one, I, I think she's great. I thought that out of the whole G4 crew, she kind of got snubbed the most because she was at least doing stuff over at Riot before she came over. I know that Frost was also... Uh, doing stuff over the LAC, but I think she was also like on her way out after the whole Neom thing that happened. Um, you you tell a lot of great stories. Which one, which one of your guests did you have on that made you go, "Holy crap, I got them"? You mean from like uh, getting the answer out of them, or if, or do you mean like more like actually booking them and having them? There? May- booking them and having them. That's a good question. Um, the hard hitting journalism here. It it's it's probably either Troy Baker or it's either Troy Baker or um, I'm trying to think through the library. Troy Baker, Motion City soundtrack. I'm like pulled it up in front of me just because I want to. I want to make sure I'm not forgetting about it when I say this. Mm-hmm. Troy Baker, Motion City soundtrack, and uh, Anthony Fantano are probably the three. Um, you know, Troy Baker, the the voice mm-hmm. uh, of The Last of Us, uh, Joel in The Last of Us, um, was an actor in the show. One of my favorite conversations we've had on the show. Um, just like a very I deal with a lot of people in entertainment that have a lot of egos. That guy doesn't have an ego. Um, and he was he was very gracious uh, with his time, and he gave a lot of good answers and very philosophical answers. I always love, and that was one of those cases, too, when, you know, people say good question too frequently. I was doing the interview today, and, like, almost after every time I'd ask a question, somebody would be like, oh, good question. Um, I And I appreciate that, but sometimes, like, it was an okay question. It, it was not the best question. Uh, but I love when I end an interview and someone like the feedback is like, wow, I like nobody's ever talked to me like that. And like a way of like, you really made me think and you really made me like explore my thoughts and like provide some guidance. Um, Troy was like that. Uh, Anthony Fantano, the the YouTuber knows the needle drop. Uh, I was kind of just, we had to reschedule him kind of last minute and uh, for like months down the road. And I was a little worried it like would not happen. Um, but it did, and he was awesome. Uh, he also had a huge upload issue. He, he, uh, actually, I don't know if he publicly says where, which, even which state he's from. I know which state he, state he is from, so I won't in inherently uh, dox the guy. Mm-hmm. Um, but he lives in a part of the U.S. where there's not the best of internet connections, um, and uh, so it took him a long time for our program to do like the post processing stuff that he usually does to give us his raw video feed. Dude sat there, um, and I would just check in like every you know fifteen, twenty minutes, thirty minutes, or whatever, just to see if it was done. Dude sat there for like two and a half hours post show. He went and did other things like at his computer, but like two and a half hours post show to get this uploaded, and and I really appreciated that. He was a great interview. Uh, we ended up getting cited in an Activision Blizzard lawsuit regarding uh, that interview, which was really funny because 
Um, they sued him, eventually settled, or dropped. I can't remember if they settled or dropped the suit, but they sued him over uh, him, like, basically threatening them to take down the uh, That's Enough Slices uh, TikTok audio, which was, like, a, it's a really weird lawsuit. Okay. Um, he, he talked about that that audio and, like, that TikTok that he made in our podcast, so that's why we got cited in the lawsuit, which is really funny. Um, and then, yeah, on kind of the last note, Motion City Soundtrack, a pop punk band that very influential to mine and many people's lives um a very long conversation about mental health and uh, kind of some of the stuff we've talked about here being a public figure and you know i i say in that episode but like i lost i lost my brother my brother to addiction about a year ago and sorry uh, i thank you um and uh those guys have been through their own addiction and um you know their own traumas etc and they were really open about it and it was a really really good conversation you know because to me uh, visionaries to me the pod we focus a lot on um you know gaming nerd culture in the creator space but to me like art is art and whether you're an, a musician or whether you are a act you know an artist painter or drawer or designer or whatever right like whatever your art art is or a game designer um all of these things have kind of the same types of like uh, mental health struggles, et cetera. Like they're, they're all, they all overlap. Creative stuff all tends to be kind of intertwined one way or another. And so it, they don't have to be a perfect fit for the show all the time. Those guys like weren't, they're into gaming. They stream sometimes like that, I guess good enough, but like at the same time, that was an amazing conversation. Um, and uh, they hosted some of our team. I'm sad I wasn't able to make it cause I was very sick, but they hosted some of our team at uh when, when we were young festival in Vegas nice. um, and that was really kind of them too. So um, yeah, they uh, really, I mean, just a really cool group. How famous do I have to be to get on visionaries to where we have the role reversal now? I, I don't know if fame is the right sort of gauge as much as i don't know it depends on the topic right like i've had some people on that aren't very famous at all but it's like extremely knowledgeable so uh about certain things we wanted to talk about um so i don't know if fame is the right gauge uh yeah so you're saying i have a chance to be on you visionaries have i have a chance do i have a better chance of being on visionaries than lloyd christmas getting with very Samsonite. I don't know. Hmm. There's I a chance. Yeah, it, hopefully you know the reference, by the way. I do. Yeah. Okay, good. Because I realize also, I know that there is a bit of a generation gap between us, but it's like, okay, I think I can blend it just enough. Yeah, you, um, I understand the reference. I, I don't know. I The show, I think the show, like, We'll see. Uh, the show's always changing and evolving. Uh, the thing about podcasts is, like, they're so saturated that, as you all know, as we're on one right now, they're so saturated that it takes a lot to, like, break through. But, like, yeah. the, be the best thing you can do is just be consistent. Um, we've had some really good success on YouTube, but we had to stop publishing on YouTube because it's so time-consuming and expensive. It is. Um, but I want to go back to doing certain things on YouTube, even if it's not, like, the entire podcast on there. Um, but, yeah. It's, uh, I don't know. Uh, I'm like, I, I love the show. It's been like such a, a change. I, I loved podcasting so much before I like started hosting my own pod. 
um and producing my own pod that like it's been uh it's been really cool to like just explore my creative ideas etc as well i've realized i've taken a lot of your time and so uh i greatly appreciate it you could check him out on uh check out visionaries wherever you get your podcasts also check out overcome where can they find you jacob tell them all the sites and how they can reach you i am at jacob wolf on uh x twitter um you can find my work at uh jacob wolf dot report if you put that into your url bar that's how you can sign up for my newsletter um right now we're we're wanting uh folks to sign up for our patreon so uh the url for that's kind of a pain in the ass but you can find it on all my socials um nonetheless and uh yeah th- thanks you thank you for having me I, I really appreciate it go check him out go read some of his stuff go listen to his shows it's great stuff Jacob Wolf, thanks a lot for coming on. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me, man. And thank you all very much for listening. If you like what you heard today, please consider subscribing, following, get to generic stuff. I'm sounding like a YouTube video at this point. Uh, You can follow me on Twitter at Chase Bunker. And uh, if you are watching this on YouTube, feel free to hit the subscribe button, write down the comments. You can write down any letter just to make sure, you know, fool the algorithm. Thank you all very much for listening. And we'll talk to you all in the next episode. Thanks for listening. Make sure you check out more episodes on iTunes and on our YouTube page, youtube.com forward slash that game show. And follow us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash that game show.